0: What's up? This is JM, host of the Celebrity Grill Podcast on iTunes. And you're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Network. All barbecue and grilling all the time. The
1: Let's go! We'll do
0: it live. Okay. Well, do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live!
1: So, to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood.
0: Are you sure it's safe? Whatever.
1: We put the lighter fluid on,
0: strike your match, and. Oh.
1: Should we call the fire department?
0: That might be a good idea.
1: Welcome to the Really Big Barbecue Central Show, a show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling, but you knew that. And it's the fourth Tuesday of the month, and that means we're wrapping up the origin stories. Tonight promises to be perhaps way longer than two hours. Derek Rich is coming up in just a few seconds. Rusty Monson leads the second hour, and when we're done with Rusty, we will get in with Doug Shiding. John Solberg is off this evening, but don't worry. We will catch up with him. We just wish him and his family well. John, we're thinking about you. And I'll leave it at that. Without any further ado, we race to the hotline and bring back friend of the show and Barbecue Central Show guest Hall of Famer Derek Riches. Hey, Derek.
0: Hey, Greg, how you doing?
1: I am fine, and uh, man, I'm excited to have you as we get ready to wrap up the month of Origin Stories. I didn't necessarily plan it like this, but I thought, why don't we go through and get the whole kit and caboodle of these regular guests, and if it proves to be something that's interesting, uh, maybe I'll start tracking down some of the other barbecue luminaries and doing these bonus content type things, so... We'll close out the month strong with you here in the first hour. So uh, we'll we'll get in the first handful of minutes here. We'll break, and then we'll get into the two longer interview segments as normal. So talk to us right from the beginning, Derek. When were you born, and where were you born?
0: Uh, I was born a long time ago.
1: Join the club. Uh. (laughs) Longer every year, right?
0: Actually, my birthday was Saturday. Really? Um, Happy birthday. All right. 1966. All right. I was born um, on the outskirts of uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. So you were a, a
1: Utah-born and bred, pretty much.
0: Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Nice. I think we go back about four generations there. So.
1: Uh, same place, or like within the same region, or did you move up and down the state?
0: Did I move around? Well, I mean, like I, the
1: family of four yeah. generations.
0: Yeah. Not not far. No, they it, it did not. These were not people that went anywhere. All right. Nice. I think my, you know, I I don't think, uh, yeah. I mean, it's like my dad died probably five miles from where he was born. Really? Yeah. Wow. All right. They're not travelers.
1: I get that. Uh, So what was family life like growing up for you before the high school years? You know, those formative years of a young Derek Rich's ankle
0: biter running Uh, around. uh, Grew up kind of like uh, in, in a little house. It was like right on the edge of the Wasatch Mountains. It, about a 15-minute walk, you'd be at a trailhead. So you could just, you know, take off, go hiking. So a lot of my kid a lot of my childhood was spent, you know, in the mountains and traveling, um, you know, around there, fishing, hiking, hunting. Um, you note know, from when my birthday is, most of my Birthdays as a kid were spent at deer hunt. Hmm. I mean, so, you know, that was kind of the extent of that.
1: Is that a different life growing up? I mean, I certainly wasn't near any big city as I was growing up. Um, From what I can recollect, uh, Saratoga Springs, New York, so upstate New York. Certainly, I was around mountains, but no real-ass mountains like you were around.
0: Yeah, those those are hills. Right.
1: So... uh, (laughs) Is it something that as you talk to people and get to know them, uh they have similar life experiences growing up in that kind of an area, or are you more the exception to the rule?
0: Um, I don't know. You know, I mean, most of the people that, you know, I grew up with, that was that was that was a big thing. It's like, you know, they used to always uh they literally I mean, like the the opening day of deer hunt was an actual holiday. I mean, it's not an official one. But everything was closed, and, and the schools would close because no one would be there. Um, so, you know, the outdoors was a really big part of, of just your, your life. Um, and, you know, everybody had campers and RVs and tents and stuff. And, you know, people would clear out on the weekends. You know, as a kid, it was kind of weird, you know, particularly around, you know, in the summer and stuff. I mean, if you were home on a Saturday and you went to the store, there was nobody there, you know, versus now it's just like, you know, always packed on the weekends, sure. but it's just because everybody cleared out, you know, there was more congestion Friday nights getting out of town than there was, you know, during rush hour. Um, you know, it was just kind of the way it was back then. It, it It's changed, it changed a lot over my lifetime because just, you know, the whole area became much more urbanized, and you know, people just don't do that sort of thing, I guess, anymore.
1: Were you from a house, Derek, where your parents stayed together while you were growing up?
0: Yeah, uh, oh. my parents were both divorced before oh. they married each other. Wow, so I have, um, that's kind of a different, abuse. um,
1: that's a that's a I mean, it certainly wasn't commonplace, you know, back then. I mean, if they were both divorced yeah. and then, you know, married, uh, I mean, that's not something that you heard about a lot back then.
0: Yeah, I, I was kind of an exception. I mean, uh, I grew up in the not Mormon kid in a very Mormon neighborhood. and State. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. No, it was worse in other places. But, you know, I sure. mean, so it was, I had a very odd family. I mean, I have to always say that I have I mean, I have two and a half siblings, and I actually have two brothers named Mike. Really? So, <laughs> so you know, it, it, it's... So, was the family dad,
1: dynamic one of a blended family coming in? Like, uh, your parents had kids respectively, or did they have some together?
0: Well, my I'm the only kid they had together. Okay. My dad had three kids, but I wasn't raised with them, and... You know we were never close, I didn't really know him very well. My mom had two boys, and I grew up with them, but they were a lot older than I was. So by the time I was about 10, they kind of moved on, hmm. and um, after that, I was just kind of like the kid alone.
1: What kind of a and, age span are we looking at from the oldest uh combined child down to you?
0: Uh, the oldest is like 12 years older than I am, hmm. but. They're all they're all very close in age. So the youngest is about eight years older than I am. Hmm. So, you know, you have five kids in four years, but you know, from two different families. So, so yeah, I was I was kind of the odd one out. I was always the little the little brother, the you know, the one that got thrown out windows or tied up and left. So the guinea pig I wouldn't get in the way of things. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, so I mean, I would assume you were closest w- with your brothers, but uh, as time has worn on, have those relationships just kind of faded, or has there been more of a concerted reconnection as you had gotten older to maintain ties? Uh,
0: I'm not. I'm not really in a lot of contact with with my siblings. I'm, I mean, um, you okay my, my with dad's that? Kid, no problem with that? Yeah, I'm. Yeah. I have no problem with it. Um, they're very different from me, so I mean, one—I have a brother who is a professor of epidemiology, and wow. yeah, he's—I'm assuming he's pretty he's had busy, a busy, right? Year. <laughs> I would assume he's had a busy year. Yeah. I haven't—I haven't talked to him, but you know, <laughs> I'm sure he's busy. So, and and uh, another one—I don't really know what he's up to now. I think he kind of, sort of retired or something. Um he's done all sorts of crazy jobs over the years so Uh your parents still around? No, my parent my uh well see my my dad did broke the cardinal rule of military service back in May of 52 he was stationed at Clovis Air Force base in New Mexico where he basically spent all day smoking cigarettes under a fuel truck waiting for B-29s to land that, you know, that would take off from Clovis, fly up to the Arctic Circle and back, yeah. you know, with their nuclear payload because it's the 1950s. Right. And an officer came around and asked for volunteers, and he said, okay, why not? And uh, so he got put in a cargo plane and flown to the Nevada nuclear test site. So he was actually witness to one of the last airdropped above ground nuclear tests on us soil. Um, so that shortened his lifespan quite a bit. Um, he never really got like leukemia or anything. He never got cancers. No can he, no one in his family has ever had cancer. I just don't have the genes for it, I guess, but it just messed with his DNA. He just aged faster and faster as time went by. Um, and my mom died um, almost five years ago. So uh, We're going to
1: take our first break here, and then we'll come back and uh, talk about high school and getting into college here. So stand by. We're talking with Derek Riches, getting his origin story. Don't forget in the second hour, Rusty Monson, one of the embedded correspondents, one of the newest, or the newest, and then Doug Scheiding after him. Quickly... Before we get back with Derek, I'll talk to you about Pits & Spits since 1983, handcrafting smokers and grills in Houston, Texas. In that time, Pits & Spits has established itself as one of the premier brands in high-quality offset smokers and, more recently, in pellet cookers, setting itself apart by using heavy 7- and 10-gauge steel in every cooker, fully welded construction that you can feel when you use the unit, three or four stainless roll-top lid, and a front shelf on every single smoker. Why does that matter? Well, by using higher quality materials, Pits and Spits smokers reach and maintain temperatures, allowing you to worry more about the meat than the heat. Providing a fully welded smoker that you don't have to worry about gas and, or I'm sorry, grease and smoke leaking out of the barrel. You don't have to worry about that grill rattling apart as you move it through the backyard as well. Three or four stainless steel means you're getting an heirloom quality product that you can pass down to your kids as well. Now, while some companies focus on the low cost provider sector, Pits and Spits focuses on craftsmanship and using quality materials. Are there cheaper ways to make these pits? Yes, but they don't like tack welds, cheap stainless and electronics that you can't trust. Having in-house manufacturing gives them complete control of their design and standards. That's not something you're going to find in products brought in from overseas. Their steel supplier supply material to be used in some of the harshest environments around, so they will perform in any and all conditions. And their controllers are made here right in the USA. So they're able to have unimpeded transparency into the programming. Pits and Spits is a dealer of uh, a network of dealers across the country. If there isn't one close to you, call them at the shop, 844-650-6250. That's 844-650-6250, whether you're in the backyard or your competition team. Pits and Spits has the right product for you. You can check them out on their website, all spelled out, Pits and Spits. That's double T's. On both sides, pitsandspits.com or see their pits in the wild across all social media handles at pits and spits, all spelled out as well. Or Derek Rich's coming up shortly. Stick around. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. podcasting live from the barbecue central show studios in cleveland ohio you're listening to the barbecue central show once again here's your host greg
1: Rempe. all right welcome back this portion of the show being brought to you by butchers barbecue makers of award-winning spices rubs marinades grilling oils everything that you need to be a successful pitmaster tried and true on the competition trail and in backyard stock up now over at butcherbbq.com that's butcherbbq.com always trust your butcher and we're back with Derek Riches Derek thanks for hanging with me through the break there Sort of All right, thing. so let's talk about – well, uh, I guess let me ask you uh, quickly, uh, since your dad had kind of uh, passed prematurely, uh, we're get, I, I guess you're speculating that the uh, the above-ground nuclear test that he was witness to might have had a hand in that. So when he passes away uh, you know, sooner than expected, uh, how does that uh, affect you?
0: Well, I mean, by sooner than expected, it wasn't – I mean, I was about 30, so – Um, uh, and you know, it was, it was a, it was something we knew was coming for a long time, just, you know, he'd been to every doctor and, and they basically like, well, you know, it's radiation damage Mm. just over a very long period of time. And, you know, so, um, that's just, you know, the way that is would have been nice if, you know. There had been a compensation package or something for that, but yeah, uh, yeah. Somehow they lost all his military records in a big fire in in St. Louis, mm. Missouri. Ironic, yeah. ironic. Yeah. yeah, almost everyone who was witness to a nuclear test had their records there. Mm. And, and 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 up went.
1: That's right. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Hard, to, yeah. hard to hard to imagine that. <laughs> Uh, Derek, what was high school like when you get into there? I mean, that can be a tough time for a lot of folks, but uh, how were the high school years for you and what were you into?
0: Uh, I was, well, you know, kind of again, being the not Mormon kid in an extremely Mormon part of the world, I tended to be the kid that your parents warned you about, but for no other reason than the fact that I just didn't go to the church they all did. Uh huh. So, um, I I just, you know, high school is largely uneventful, but I just kind of, I guess in a way, I kind of played into that a little bit. I, you know, I got into punk music and was kind of rebellious, but, you know, I got really good grades, so nobody complained about anything.
1: No sports or Um, any extracurriculars like that?
0: No, I was, um, well, when I was really little, I had rheumatic fever um, and it was really bad, and um, kind of one of the long term side effects of that is that you can suffer from kind of long term joint pain so a lot of my teenage years it's like my knees were just always always in pain mm-hmm. so anytime I did anything athletic i I would just go home and put ice packs in my knees for hours and so I didn't really get involved in a lot of that
1: no um, other no other clubs or anything outside uh, of sports yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. no, not really. I mean I was you know, we had a electronics class but I did a lot of stuff in there in high school and did a lot of um you know, built radios and did a lot of you know, eighties level technology. What what, cutting uh, edge. what year are you getting out of high school then? Uh I graduated in eighty five. Eighty five, all right.
1: So good grades. Take, leaving at eighty five. Are you um adept at going right to college at that point or what was the mindset as you're leaving high school then
0: uh yeah i just kind of went uh straight into college it just i went to the university of utah which was about 15 miles away i got a job up there and um you know As opposed to today, tuition was very reasonable. And so I just kind of stayed in college for like eight years. Nice.
1: Uh, Were you going in with a major in mind or were you going in to see where the wind blew you?
0: Well, I mean, I kind of went in with the idea of uh, electrical engineering. Um, And after about two years of that, decided it was way too much work for what I was willing to put in. Mm -hmm. I mean... I you know the math and the physics and the chemistry and then the engineering courses plus you know you're competing you know I was I was working a lot and you know I you know competing with kids who are on scholarship and you know who don't have to do anything else but study and I had to do all these other things so um you know it, it I so I just you know decided I'm just going to take whatever interests me So that's about six years of that. So do you graduate from college? Yeah, yeah. I have uh, I have a I have a a bachelor's in history and a bachelor's in philosophy.
1: Wow, worth it.
0: Yeah. I I was close to (laughs) I mean, if I if I'd been willing to go back for a second year of calculus, I could have done the bachelor's in mathematics. But I, also I mean, all did a of, lot of those
1: majors years. reek of you're going to teach somewhere. I, 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 worthless, <laughs> yeah. I say, tongue in cheek, because to me that's like you're doing that because uh, maybe you're not passionate about something specific, and you've just accumulated credits like you have, uh, or you're yeah. taking those because you know that I want to get out of here, and, and this is a class I want to teach in middle school or high school, or get a master's yeah. and then go to the collegiate yeah. level or something along these lines.
0: I I I I am not I'm not generally a very good teacher when it comes to you know something like that. I'm 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 too unstructured in the way I do things. So uh, yeah, I, I had no aspirations of teaching ever.
1: So taking the long term college route, which by the way I wholeheartedly agree with on many different levels, especially you know back then, even when I, when I went to college at OU, I paid for the last year because I was on the five year plan. Uh, my parents paid for the first four years. I paid for the fifth year. I think all in, like all in for the year, I took a loan out for 5500 Uh, You know, my daughter goes to a Division two school right now out east of Pittsburgh. It's $52,000 a year. So, it's- you know, from 97 to, you know, 20... 20- 19 when she started, it's a dramatic increase all across the board. Division two, three, division one, you name it, Uh, state school, private school, what have you. However, um, you've also mentioned that you've worked through college. So uh, that's a whole different uh, chain of responsibility there because you are holding down a job and making money. I would assume to help uh, uh, offset the cost of college. But uh, then you also have your study responsibilities as well. So what jobs are you holding down through that time?
0: Uh you know, several things. What I did is I got jobs that part of the benefit of the job was half off of your tuition. So I could so I could pay as I went. I could actually make enough money, you know, to support myself and come up with the tu- you know, tuition money. So when I graduated, I didn't I had no you know i had no loans i had none of that sort of stuff so um so that was good that way uh you know um you know before i started college i i worked for a year as a bicycle mechanic when i was in high school and then uh i worked in the fine arts museum for a while and then i worked in their main research library you know and that kind of just evolved into but, you know, when I graduated, I just kind of went from what I was doing into uh, an IT position there. Hmm. So, you know, I was doing pretty, I was doing okay. I mean, you know, I, I wasn't raking in money, but I was getting by.
1: So that was the first job out of college then, technically was a an IT job?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Did you think you were going to be in IT going forward at that point? Or did you know it was a job uh, versus a career and there were other callings for you?
0: Well, I mean, I, I didn't like, I mean, there's certain things I didn't like about it. I mean, there were times when, you know, work shift was 24 straight hours because there was something wrong. I mean, we were doing, you know, I was doing network administration for a department that had horribly underfunded underfunded its network for years, and so it was just cobbled together crap, and you know it was a lot of time fixing what was there while trying to build something that would actually work. And you know, as, as time went by, I just lost any passion for it. Um, I, I know how computers work at this point, but I'm not really interested in working on them. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, it was just, it was a lot of work. And, you know, and and it, it, it was like, you know, some people are like, oh, well, you're a professional and you're doing a professional position. And other people like, you're kind of janitorial. You fix stuff <laughs> sort of thing. And it's like, you know, I don't need this. I really don't. So, you know, I was always kind of trying to figure out something else to do.
1: So at some point there's... The, the tipping mindset where you're at the job and you know you're not going to be there so are you now on the lookout for something else or how does the next job transition happen uh
0: you know uh, in the nineties I you know when all the dot com started coming up I uh, I was trying to work to get positions into you know some of these tech companies these startups stuff like that um but you know a lot of them you know it was like relocate to palo alto and maybe you can get on a list to get into a position or you know if you lived in new york city we might be able to find something for you uh i i did a couple of you know kind of side projects here and there for a while um but you know nothing really ever panned out and you know i i was i was really consistently picking losers that would die in the bubble burst, you know, in 2000. So, uh, you know, if I knew now, if I knew then what I know now, I I, I think I probably could have picked a better path, but it was kind of hit and miss with all of that.
1: If I could back it up just for a second, as you uh, get through high school, and uh, I guess, uh, I mean, did you come back home every now and again through college like, you know, normal kids would do, uh, breaks and whatnot, or once you were at college, did you pretty much stay out there?
0: Uh, well, I went home on Sunday to do my laundry.
1: Oh yeah, because I mean, you my were parents, yeah like ten my miles parents from home, fifteen right. miles away. That's right.
0: Or if I was if I was really hungry. Yeah.
1: So what's the uh, what's the food scene for you like back then? Are you somebody that is being brought into the kitchen, or are you bringing yourself into the kitchen to see how food is made? Is your family not necessarily a, a culinary family per se? How did it look like
0: for you? I wouldn't say that either. Of my parents are very good cooks. Um, um, my mother had a very basic education in in English cooking from, you know, like her mother and her grandmother with a couple of Danish dishes thrown in there. But that was pretty much all she knew. And my dad knew nothing about cooking, but you know, when I was a teenager, my dad was, uh, you know, actually from when I was pretty young, probably from 10 onward, my dad became an avid gardener. He, we lived on a pretty big plot of land, And, um, he carved out this massive garden. And so every fall he would, you know, it, it would be like, you would harvest everything and everything got, you know, canned or frozen or whatever. So, you know, I grew up on, um, homemade pickles and salsa, tomato sauces. My mother made a pretty good tomato jam. I would really like to have another jar of that if I could get it. Um, you know, Pretty much anything that you could, anything you can buy in a pre-made in a can today, they made and just canned themselves at home. So that was kind of like the culinary world for me was that sort of canning and food preserving process. You know, the three days it took to make a year's worth of pickles, mm-hmm. the, the day that you I would spend grinding tomatoes to make so we could make salsa um, you know, the, you know, and, and that were all of it, every ingredient that went into it, corn, green beans, every type of squash you can imagine. He grew potatoes. I don't know why huh. anyone would grow potatoes cause they're really cheap to buy, but you know, he was had this, there's a certain survivalist mentality in him. And I think he just felt that, you know, why buy if you can make it yourself. Sure we just didn't have chickens. I, you know, I think that would have been it would have been kind of the whole thing. If he'd raised chickens, was
1: there any, We also
0: lived on venison and stuff like that quite a bit. Oh,
1: I was going to say, I mean, with the, the hunt that you were talking about, I'm sure game was uh, a, a fairly big portion of it. Was there any like fish. live file a uh,
0: live fire introduction for you at that? Point? Oh, well, yeah, I mean, but it would, you know, um, all along. Cause it was, there was always campfire cooking. Um, and my dad had this 1930 something Coleman stove that he'd got from his dad that, you know, whenever we'd go camping or, you know, whatever, he'd cook everything on. But yeah, uh, you know, a lot of just like campfire cooking mm-hmm. and, you know, the stuff you throw in the fire and the stuff you cook over the fire, you know, um, we would do that. We'd go, you know, like when we'd go fishing, catch trout and, you know, just clean them and cook them and eat them as they were coming out of the water a lot of times so you know so that was always that element All Right. plus my dad actually invented barbecue so <laughs> thank god you know i mean if it if, if, let's 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 leave that as an aside <laughs> okay we'll leave that aside for a minute but it's it's an interesting story <laughs>
1: Uh, I, I mean, uh, how, how has one become so lucky to have their dad be the one credited for inventing oh, no. barbecue? I,
0: I didn't say he was the first person to invent barbecue. Oh, no. He invented it independently yes. on his own. Oh. Um, so like I said, we lived on a big plot of land and it had once been an orchard. So it was cherry trees and apricot trees. Nice. And they were all ancient, you know, because this was an orchard, you know, this orchard had been planted in like the 19th century. And so we always had tons of fruit wood and we just, you know, burned it. Firewood, fireplace, whatever. Right. But when I was a little kid, the, the guy who lived next door to us had been a commander in the U.S. Navy. And he'd been stationed in Japan in the 60s and he had brought back with him this weird big ceramic green thing that he called a hibachi. And when he moved, he was like, well, this thing's so fragile and it's been shipped around so much because he'd brought it back on an aircraft. You know, he'd had it smuggled on an aircraft carrier to get it from Japan. I mean, he was a commander, so he had some clout, I guess. Sure. So he just gave it to my dad. And so my dad is like, well, it's a grill with this grill on it. But um, what... My dad kind of realized was, you know, this is my dad again. He doesn't buy stuff. He, you don't have to buy charcoal when there's all this wood lying around. You just need to get the wood burning in the grill itself and just burn that. So, you know, he didn't buy charcoal. Um, And he also realized that, you know, if you kind of adjusted this thing right, you could cook almost anything on it. You could cook at lower temperatures. You could roast on it. It wasn't just grilling steaks. And so he just kind of played around with the idea of it. Um, so I grew up eating like, you know, roasts and it was like, you know, like chuck roasts or pork loin roasts or stuff like that, that he would cook on this, but he realized that the longer he cooked it, the more tender it was. So he would just kind of dial it down and let it cook all day long. And then, then that's what we would eat. And, you know, he didn't know what barbecue was. I mean,
1: in he's, he's inventing
0: North. it right there, pretty much. He's never been east. You know, <laughs> the farthest east has ever been is Chicago. Yeah. And that was, you know, just a flight to Chicago. And other than that, the edge of the Rocky Mountains was about as far as he would go yeah. because he hated flatland so much. So, um, you know, years later, uh, you know, I'm like 20 and I'm visiting a friend down in Austin, Texas, and I get off the plane. He's like, all right, we're going to go get you some barbecue. And he's like, you've never eaten anything like this before in your life. And I'm kind of like, well, actually it's kind of like the way my dad used to cook a lot. I mean, it's similar. So, you know, that's kind of where I got introduced to barbecue was not barbecue, but something very similar to it. And then when I actually got to try barbecue, I was like, Hey, this, this is actually quite good. I'd, I'd like to do more of this. Very interesting story. By that, by that point, that big green hibachi thingy in the, my parents' backyard had disintegrated into oh, a pile of. That I was going to say, dust. is there
1: any way that you have that oh, somewhere? I, mean, I
0: know. I would love to. I would yeah. love to still have it. Oh, I but, bet. Um, you know, I, I've, I've tracked a few down online that are like in good condition, but the price and then the shipping yeah. is insane.
1: So uh I mean that's a really good introduction to to barbecue even though you know who 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 knew at the time that you were yeah. partaking in and really a southern uh delicacy that a lot of other people knew about and your dad was learning it all on his own. Um we get back to uh kind of present day as it were at that period of time so the the professional side is uh, you know, a little spotty per se, you don't really have a defined career path that you're rolling down yet, but uh, I assume at some point uh, there unfolds a love story. Uh, you get married, all that good stuff, so uh, regale us, if you will, Derek, of a love story between uh, you and your wife and how you meet and how that story unfolds.
0: You're actually assuming a lot, aren't you? Sure. I I, I I love love. I mean, who doesn't love love? So. Well, it's, you know, it's not like we talk a lot. So, um, so I was working at the, the library at the university. Um, I had not, I had not started working in IT, I was working in um, one of the management departments. And, uh, you know, I walk through one day and I see this young woman across, you know, over in another department. I think it was like literally the first day she worked there. And I see her and I look at her and I, and I knew right there. I mean, it just, it was an epiphany. She is way out of my league. Nice. I mean, Knockout. just, yeah. I mean, there's, so I just put that aside. Put that straight out of my head because, you know, I dashed hopes are awful. So, you know, but a couple of months later, you know, we're kind of working together and we get talking and, um, you know, I asked her out and she agreed. And the weird thing of it is, is the first place I took her was a barbecue joint. In Utah? Yeah, it was like the only one. It wasn't terribly authentic. It was close. I mean, it was it was better than Tony Romo's. I'll put you put it that for those who remember Tony Romo's. They're not still around, are they?
1: Uh, maybe in pockets, but I think
0: most of yeah, them have I dried say, up. Yeah, yeah, I, I hope so. Yeah, um, but yeah, and everything proceeded very quickly from that point onward. Like, how quickly you know, are you
1: dating to to when you get married? Like, is it a, a year
0: like that kind of quick or? Uh, it's like six months from when you dated till you were married. Yeah. Look Our at first this date was in- Smooth opera.
1: So you must've had some kind of rap going.
0: It's just everything, everything was just perfect. Everything yeah. just was great. You know, we got along amazingly well. We liked all the same stuff. Uh, well, for the most part, we don't agree necessarily in music, but you know, aside from that, um, we have kind of similar personalities, similar mm-hmm. outlooks and we, we, dated our first date was the beginning of February and we got married um at the end of August Wow
1: so do you get any static uh, or or do either of you get any static from the parents going hey you know uh, maybe a little quick to the finish line here
0: no not really yeah I mean I was I mean did you 20, even care anyway like who cares yeah well no I didn't care right. uh, at all she might have I don't her parents weren't against I'm running against it. I was 26. She was 22. So um, she was a little young. But yeah, no, my parents were just, you know, whatever. Do you start having kids kids.
1: fairly quickly then? Or
0: how does that work out? Uh, Our daughter was born about a year and a half later. All right. So you
1: have a little honeymoon time there?
0: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah.
1: Is that the only uh, kid you got?
0: Yeah. All right. All right. And she's yeah, the one that was
1: like, uh, like trapped in limbo or something a couple months ago well, from whatever was yeah. going on
0: there. <laughs> She'd moved out to to Boston a couple years ago. She's 25 now. Um, kind of finish up her school stuff. And then her, her boyfriend was um, still in school at Boston and had like a semester to finish when everything shut down. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so Boston's rents are insane and they closed the, you know, all the school dorms and everything like that. So they kind of had to leave Boston and, um, but his parents lived down in Virginia. So that's where she is now kind of, you know, I feel I feel bad for, you know, people in their 20s right now because it's like, you know, what do you do? If you can work, you can work. But it's kind of hard right now.
1: Uh, growing up from a, a parental standpoint, um, how, how do you feel you and your wife were as parents raising uh, a kid? Is that a enjoyable experience or <laughs> what do you how, how do you how do you look back on those, you know, 18 years before you turn her loose?
0: Well, you've done it a lot more than I have, so you probably have more insights than I do. Uh, raising an only child, that is might be different, though, because they don't have anyone else to play with.
1: I, I can tell you that the, so. by the time the third one comes, you don't care.
0: I would assume, yeah. Oh, the baby
1: fell on the floor? Uh, you know, no problem.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we tried to achieve that level of indifference quickly, but it didn't pan out entirely. Um so but no, I, I think we I I don't know. I think we did an okay job. I think she's I mean she's she's who she is. Would you say she's a she's fierce,
1: made. independent, strong woman and contributor to society. She,
0: she is definitely fierce and yeah. independent. All right. And she is also um um just an avid artist. Oh um and she has that artist personality, you know. And, and from when she was little, I mean, four or five, if if there was some project that she wanted to get involved in, nothing else mattered. You know, food didn't matter, bed, sleep time didn't matter. Nothing else mattered whatsoever. It, it had to be done. Um, we bought, um, we we bought Scotch tape by the caseload because. She would just tape everything, make these scotch tape sculptures and paper and whatever she could find. (laughs) And she's still that, you know, she still has that kind of passion. Um, she'll just disappear for a couple of days and it's because she's doing a painting and no one is, you know, the phone goes off and you can't talk to her. So it it was a little weird when she moved away and you couldn't get in touch with her for a couple of days. Like, are you all right? And she'd pop up and go, Why did you text me 67 times? Because it's been four days. Where have you been? I was painting. So she's like that. Where does barbecue journalism start? <sighs> okay. So my dad invented barbecue. We Wait a second.
1: That. Let me, before we get into that, let me do uh, one more break here before we get into the uh, the barbecue stuff here. I apologize. Okay. And uh, we'll come back and learn that story because, as we've learned here, Derek Stat has invented barbecue, which is wonderful. Uh, Southsidemarket.com is the place to go to get all your sausages and everything else that Southside makes. they are barbecued meats, briskets, and ribs established in 1882. Oldest barbecue joint in Texas, owned and operated by the same family for three generations. Premium Central Texas barbecue products, slow smoked over real wood, shipping, distributing, manufacturing sausages for companies across the U.S. From food trucks to multi-chain restaurants, Southside Sausage can be on your menu as well. All meats are processed in the on-site USDA inspected facility. A trusted partner with a focus on quality and authenticity. Shipping nationwide via FedEx or through food service distribution channels, Cisco, US Foods, and Martin Foods. Co-packaging capable for research and development to package completion. They can also follow your recipe or help you develop something brand new. Private label opportunities also available. SouthsideMarket.com is a place to go to shop online. 10% off all of your orders through that website. With promo code BBQ Central, all one word, lowercase. That's BBQ C E N T R A L, BBQ Central. And that's 10% off at SouthsideMarket.com each and every time. All right, now we will get the live fire story from Derek Riches. Stick around, we'll be right back.
0: Howard Stern, Jim Rohn, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show.
1: All right, the show brought to you by CookinPellets.com. C-O-O-K-I-N. CookinPellets.com, your number one resource for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. Again, that's CookinPellets.com. All right, Derek, sorry to cut you off there. As I oh, teased okay. everybody and then uh, pulled it all away. It's uh, what we do here at The Biz. So, uh, Barbecue
0: Journalism, where does it start? Um, so, like I had said, uh, you know, in the mid to late 90s, I'm kind of checking out a lot of these, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, dot-com companies. And I see a listing for a site. So this new business, it's not, you know, it's not available. They're just starting up, and they're looking for people to, uh, in essence, do kind of web development and curating for different topics. Now, like I said, um, in my early 20s, uh, I had a friend who um, had moved, he was from Texas and he had lived in Salt Lake for a while and then he moved back. Uh, was living in uh, San Marcos. And I'd flown down and visited him and then driven out to Galveston because my brother was at medical school there. And um, so, you know, I kind of got the, the taste for barbecue then. And then a few years later, you know, I got married and, you know, and the first thing my wife buys me a grill and then I got one of those Brinkman. You know, they used to call them the R2D2 units, a little Brinkman water smoker yeah. thing, and so I was making barbecue and all sorts of stuff. So, so this company they're advertising for pe- people to curate topics, and I tried out for punk music, but some snot-nosed kid who doesn't know jack beat me to it. So I tried out for their barbecue and grilling topic, and they're like, "Hey, you can do this," and and it was like their goal in life was to be, okay, so, you know, back in late 90s, Yahoo was everything. If you wanted to find something on the internet, you went to Yahoo. Yes. They were going to be the intelligent Yahoo. They were going to have experts in fields curate the websites that were listed in there and kind of provide explanation, supplementary information. And they had a bunch of startup money. So they were like, hey, you do this. 10, 15 hours a month, just kind of putting stuff together, going through and doing this. We'll give you 200 bucks. So I'm like, hey, you know, why not? A month? So I started. Yeah, I know. It wasn't a lot of money. But the thing of it is, is that the job I had meant kept me kind of in a space for a long period of time but it took about three to four hours a day to do it. So I had to be there for eight hours, but I had a lot of time to kill and unlimited internet access and computer access. Hmm. So I just said, oh, okay, I can do this. They give me 200 bucks a month. So I started doing it and I don't know, about a year or so goes by, the thing goes public. They, um, people could start reading stuff and I started getting questions from people. They're emailing me and they're asking me which grill to buy. Mm. And I have no idea. I don't know anything. I mean, I know what the, I have a grill and I've <laughs> used a couple of different grills. My parents had a, uh, had one of the like first year Genesis from Weber. Um, you know, I'd used a bunch of other stuff. So I just start researching stuff and I'm answering people's questions thinking, you know, okay, this is what you do. So then I start p- compiling all this information together. And start putting it out on the website. And I'm kind of the first person to do this. Nobody what, what year written, is this exactly. Well, I started doing, uh, product information in 98. Oh, okay. And really, really ramped up in 99 and 2000. It was really preliminary in 98. But, you know, nobody else had that kind of information. It just right. wasn't anything anywhere unless yep. you were going to go buy a copy of, you know, Consumer Reports, you couldn't go online and see any of it because Consumer Reports wasn't online in those days. And um, so traffic just started pouring in. Well, this company I started working for became something called About.com, and they started paying per page view. And at first they were way overpaying. (laughs) They totally, they totally overestimated how much ad revenue they could generate. (laughs) So they had made commitments to pay a pretty substantial amount of money. And I started just generating a lot of traffic. By the time they start going, Hey, we have to cut back on how much we're paying per page view. Affiliate marketing had come up. You know, so we could do Amazon affiliate marketing, and you know, through other, you know, through a number of other companies and like that. So you know, I don't know, one in five hundred people would buy a grill that was looking at the site, but I was generating twenty million pages a month at some, you know, at one point. And
1: like, are are you making is 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 About dot com paying you a million dollars a year?
0: No. No, no. I, I I probably made them a million dollars a year, <laughs> but they only paid me half of what I made them. Yeah. Because I didn't have to deal with servers. I didn't have to do design work. Right, I right. didn't have. You were just the brain management. I didn't have to do any of the structural work. I, I just, all I had to do was sit down and go in the system and write content. So I could just, You know, that's all I had to focus on. You know, when you have to run your own website and you have to do all the technical stuff yourself, it it, that can, you know, consume three days for some stupid thing one day. There's an
1: hourly rate assessed to that, that eats back at your, uh, at your growth. Yeah.
0: And the company got bought by the New York times. And so I was using New York times press credentials to travel with. So I call it Memphis in May, say, hey, yeah, uh, uh, you know, I'm with the New York Times Corporation and I want to come to Memphis in May and, you know, can I get a press pass? And they're like, uh, yeah, we'll give you full VIP passes and, you know, someone who will run around with you mm-hmm. if you need it. You know, you want a cart to drive <laughs> you around? I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. But, you know, so, you know, good getting perks. into the trade shows and, yeah, the perks the perks were great, you know. uh, But... Uh, the, you no, know, there's the other side of it, and that is that, you know, you have to do all of this research on product information. And every single, you know, every three years, Weber would completely revamp its entire line of products. You know, charcoal one year, gas grills the next year, then, you know, everything else the year after that. Charbroil just changes everything every year. And so you had to keep up on all that. So, I mean yeah, I I was doing well. I had good perks, I had good pay, and I was working 80 hours a week.
1: So that's a a time commitment on your part for the most, or are you also making expenditures out of your own in order to to make sure that you're getting everything? I I assume you could reach out and say, this is who I am and send me all your stuff, and they're happy to do it. (laughs) But I, I would also assume that there is a potential of conflict of interest if somebody wanted to dig down and say oh well they're giving it to you and you know are you really going to be uh honest in a review on something that you've gotten
0: for free that's you know that's a really hard line because you're right companies would contact me and say hey um here's our product catalog what do you want Uh, other companies, you know, you contact them and say, I'm looking for demo units or I'm looking for this or that. Some of them would just say, screw you, we don't want to deal with you. And some of them would be like, yeah, okay. We can, you know, we can arrange for that. Um, I mean, all I can really say is, is that, you know, I put all the information that I could get out of a product into a database tested everything out I could, and then I let the database tell me if it was good or not. I basically wrote algorithms to say, well, this actually comes out on top because it scores better the way you're way you're rating it. Maybe, you know, maybe I haven't always come up with the best system of determining that, but, you know, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people have called me out over the years, but I go in and I say, okay, why, you know, what's the problem and why did I miss something or are they missing something? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's me, you know, and so I would go back and say, okay, let's reevaluate this and see what I can do with it. Um, I have a lot of relationships with, you know, people in the business. I mean, people that have been, I've known for 20 years, um, sometimes I love their products and sometimes I don't, and. You know, the the really good people to work with are the ones that will go yeah you don't necessarily like our products but you know we like what you're doing for the business you know because you know, my goal has always been you know wh- when I'm when I'm writing something it's I'm looking to I'm addressing the the first time person first time someone buys a grill some first time someone buys a smoker first time someone tries to cook a steak and I go If you're successful at that, if you get the thing that works best for you, if you have a satisfying experience with either your new cooker or your new cooking method or whatever, you're going to come back. You're going to go, Hey, this was good information, but I'm going to do more of this. You know, it, it, it's awful when somebody buys, you know, a crappy product. It does not work and they're done. You know, they're not cooking outdoors anymore. They're like, no. And that that was, it was too much work. It was, you know, those late night Ronco commercials were right. Grilling is too hard to do. You know, charcoal explodes. It kills people. Causes cancer. Causes cancer. It pesters the neighbor's dogs. It does all sorts of horrible things. I'm just not, you know, for me, it's if, if a person has a good experience They're going to do more of it. And that grows the business. It grows what all of us do. And, you know, with any luck, they'll come back to me for more answers or more information or more ideas. And that's kind of always been my way of looking at it. If you put the consumer first, then the companies are going to have to deal with you. The manufacturers. I mean, I'm not saying people haven't tried to sue me. And I have and I'm not saying that there's a certain person that actually threatened to kill me, but really? Y- yeah, name them. I know. No. Really? Yeah.
1: It was a what does their show. name sound like? What does it rhyme with? <laughs> Herman Tin. <laughs> uh, <coughs> I was I think we first came together while you were at about.com. Uh, yeah. but over time that has evolved uh, I think the next time it was the spruce.com <sighs> and eventually uh, you've landed at derrickriches.com so how does that track
0: run I think that there there came an idea in the company there were there was a group of us I mean at one point they had over a thousand of us writing for the company. Wow. And we were specialists in everything you could conceive of. I mean, we would have these, these big conferences in New York and, you know, they'd rent out all this stuff and spend, you know, a million dollars and we would get together and, and, and have a week of stuff. And there was probably not a question someone could think of that the people in that room couldn't know, that didn't know the answer to. I mean, just an incredibly smart group of people and some of them were doing incredible business a million a year and you know just and i think they just got this idea it's like you know hey there are, we have people who are making money on something they wrote 10 years ago and we're still paying them for it and why are we doing that so they decided they wanted to go a different direction and they also felt that they would make a lot more money in advertising if their product reviews had a certain, how do you put it, incentive from the manufacturer built in, uh-huh. so some of the top ten lists, some of the you know the best of the best, well, there are items on that list that are paid to be there, mm-hmm. and I refused to do that. I wasn't going to be part of it. So I just kind of like, all right, I'm going to write my way out and quietly and I'm going to go off and do my own thing for a while. Um, And that's kind of the way it went. I I basically retired for about a year, but I have written 10,000 pieces of content over the years. Um, And some of it is scattered across a dozen different websites. I mean, half of it still has my name on it. Half a dozen, but it's out there, you know. Um, and I thought, you know, I've got tons of stuff. So why don't I just put a bunch together and just play with it a little bit? I don't have to deal with the don't offend someone ideas that I used to have to. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if I want to call out a company and say, hey, you're screwing up and here's what's wrong with you, then, you know, I can be a little bit more vocal about that. I can be a little bit more of an advocate that way. Um, and not have to worry about you know someone in corporate going, hey, what's the deal with this? I mean, not that they really ever did, but you know, I mean, they're Someone at Charbroil told about .com bosses that I was on the board of directors of Weber. Oh, good for you! And that's what I know. I'm like one at the time it was still family owned so i would have had to have actually married my way in to be on the board of directors two they didn't really have a board of directors three if i was on the board of directors i would have quit all of that a long time ago because yeah. i would be making so much money particularly when the company sold but you know you know I, those are pesky things you have to explain to dot .com dot .com overlords every once in a while and usually they're like okay we get it you're not You're not crooked. They're crazy. So, but you know, now I don't have to worry about that sort of stuff. And I can just be me and set my own schedule and not work 80 hours a week.
1: There was a time that uh, you would stop doing my show. uh, Partly, maybe solely because there was, I don't know if you would call it a competition or, or maybe there was just a differing opinion. Um, uh, your site at the time, I, I don't know if it was about.com or not, or bbq.about.com and amazing ribs and uh, who was bigger, who was badder, blah, blah, blah. As a host having access to both you and Meathead, uh, it was great for me because you guys were uh, similar, but uh, obviously worlds apart in a number of different facets. Has that resolved itself in any way or like have you talked uh at all or is it just like it's open and it's just over with but it's it's still open or or how does that where does that sit in 2020 uh
0: you know i i greatly respect what he's done uh you know i mean he's put together something absolutely amazing. I mean, he's, he's really good at marketing something I'm not good at. Um, and he's, you know, he, he, he's very compelling. Um, but we have a diff. Yeah, you're right. We have very different style about things and some differences of opinions. Um, I, you know, we used to, talk, uh, quite a bit. Mm -hmm. We, you know, emailed back and forth, talked on the phones. As a matter of fact, at one point, uh, we were, we had some discussion about me taking over all the product related content for amazing ribs. And I was like, yeah, this sounds like a great idea. I, you know, it wasn't terribly lucrative at the time. I mean, it would have become quite lucrative. Probably. I mean, I, I don't, I don't really know what kind of money he does. Um, but it, it, it became a logistical issue. Sure. It was just my time. And the fact that I would in essence have to write everything twice when I didn't have enough type, time to write everything once. And so, you know, I just kind of like, you know, we, we negotiated it out, we talked it out and I was like, you know, this, I think would be a great opportunity and maybe I'm dumb for not pursuing it, but, and I don't have any regret about it. No. You know, I mean, we were communicating when he was still just Craig, you know, back in the earliest days of amazing Rip. So, um, and you know, I, if I could go back and change it, I wouldn't. Um, I did extraordinarily well and I'm proud of the work I did. And I'm proud of the work I do now. Um, but, you know, I just have a different lifestyle at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, not, I'm not interested in, you know, killing myself. Tell, you know, literally, you know. I, I just can't imagine, you know, doing that into my 60s, being that, you know, driven and traveling that much and doing all the things I did. Um, you know, when I was in my forties, so, you know, I just, I have a different life now. I want to have fun with that. Barbecue should be enjoyable and I want to enjoy it. That's kind of where I'm at in my life. So I guess the
1: last question I have, uh, isn't the best question for the answer that you just gave, uh, which was, do you see yourself not doing this at some point? So I guess the better question revised is when do you see yourself getting out of this now?
0: That's a really good question. Um, I had to have one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: and it was a revision on the fly, I might add. Thank you very much. I'll be here next if- hour. Thank you. Go
0: ahead. <laughs> I I can, you know, I, I mean, I do see myself kind of not doing this. And I have been working on a couple of other projects. Um, un industry
1: related, let's say
0: slanted mm-hmm. instead of kind of the same, same sort of thing. Um, but nothing, you know, with any luck, if I can keep up to my own schedule, we'll have something to talk about in about six months. Oh, great. All right. Um, but that's the best I can tell you right now.
1: Well, the best that I can tell everybody right now on my side is you go to DerekRiches.com and read everything that he's putting up there because it's always compelling and it's always unbiased. As I like to say, The uh, at least in my opinion, one of the most respected live fire journalist. if not the only uh, live fire journalist out there right now. And you can find him on this show, the fourth Tuesday of every month. And that is Derek Rich's origin story. Uh, Derek, hopefully this has at least met expectation. Uh, Maybe you didn't have any expectations going in, which maybe uh, was probably a better idea. But uh, I think it's always important here to show that the folks that I'm talking to, especially in this day and age, there's a very quick turn of coin to say it just happened overnight or they were lucky. And I could have also lucked into that as well. But when you get the actual history and, and run back, you see that there has been any number of years and decades involved in uh, getting into the successful position that you guys are in now and the folks that I have here on the show. And uh, secondarily, um, you know, we, we had a really good run the first time, and I was. Always disheartened when you decided to step away from the show, and I respected the reasons uh, that you were stepping away from the show, but the fact that we were able to uh, reconnect and uh, start doing this once a month again has been uh, a real joy for me because I really respect what you do, and I like the slant that you bring to the show. And uh, again, uh, it seems that the the regular guys and gals that I have here on the show, I've actually met in person and it's only been once, uh, maybe twice, um, but uh, we have met in person too. So I just want you to know that I appreciate you and what you bring to the show every month and thanks for doing. It.
0: Well, thanks for having me on, Greg. I, I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's, it's nice to have uh, something like this.
1: It's my pleasure and we will see you In November, if you can believe it. My goodness. All right, there he is. Derek (laughs) Richards. Hopefully you enjoyed getting Derek's origin story. That was fantastic. A lot of stuff there that I didn't know about. And Rusty Monson is in already. So let me do this as we wrap up the first hour. Gotta do this for podcast stuff. Uh, Green Mountain Grills, do you like those? Yes. Rusty Monson cooks all his chicken on Green Mountain Grills, believe it or not. That's all he cooks on it. Go to GreenMountainGrills.com and you can check out the Choice line and the Prime line. They have a host of accessories as well. They sell through dealers. So go to GreenMountainGrills.com and see where the nearest dealer is, nearest? nearest dealer is to you. And then go to that store, if they allow you, and check out all the products. They are trained, and will answer all your questions, so you have immediate experience right out of the gate. Again, that's GreenMountainGrills.com. GreenMountainGrills.com, and we are back to get Rusty Monson's origin story right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back.